Welcome everyone to All About Windows Phone Insight podcast number 127, recording this on Tuesday the 3rd of February 2015. I'm Steve Litchfield with me, Mr. Rafe Blanford. Hi Rafe. Hello everybody. Yes, it's our, our first podcast of February, really motoring through them these days, but we've got a lot to talk about. See, there's been more around the denim update and I guess that's where we're going to start, is it Steve? Yeah, I just wanted to, to highlight the fact that many more 1520s and 930s are now getting denim, including the um, the UK country variants, which means that both of our 1520s are now running denim, which has enabled a, a variety of other things to try and articles, as we'll probably come to in a moment. But um, it's good to see that rolling out. Still no sign of it for the 830s that we both have. But uh, I, the, the question I have for you, Rafe, is why is Microsoft taking it so slow? And I guess you might be apologising on behalf of Microsoft, <laughs> being an apologist, and saying, well... This is not actually slow. Have you any idea, Steve, how many tens of millions of devices are being serviced per day? Yes, I would say something exactly like that. I'd actually say <laughs> it's not so much about the volume of devices because that just becomes a server problem. And I think they've demonstrated in the past they're quite well able to handle you know, that data. And certainly if they can handle the download of preview builds of Windows 10, they can certainly handle a few firmware downloads from what's far fewer phones. But I don't think people necessarily realise just how many variants are out there. Even in the UK, there's going to be you know four or five operator variants. Then there could also be some variants for the MVNOs, the likes of Tesco's mobile, for example. Then there'll be the country variant. Now you start multiplying that up by the number of countries, you very quickly get to you know several hundred variants per device model. We've also seen things like the 730 and the 735, so there can actually be a couple of variants, you know, dual and single SIM versions. Um, without sort of, you know, getting too accurate about it, I would imagine we're now up to several thousand variants, and they all have to be tested, and all the software packages has to be built for them. And you know, that does just take time, and obviously you can scale that by having a, a bigger team. So I suspect some of it is down just to the sheer amount of time that takes um, you know, automatic builds, you can speed that up a bit. I suspect it's a testing process, particularly with operators that slows things down. Um, but it does seem that's a bit of a, a bit of an excuse. And I, I can't see why it couldn't happen a little bit quicker. Because after all, now we're talking really about two months since uh, the denim update started rolling out on some of the low end devices. I think it was in December. And we're sort of moving into February, it feels like it will be well towards the end of the month by a time everything is complete. Uh, it, it does get immensely frustrating, but probably remind most people listening to this that I don't think everyone is waited, waiting with bated breath to get that update at the first possible moment. Um, yeah, higher users, I think, are going to end up inevitably frustrated. Yeah. Um, but yes, we've got it in the UK on a lot of the devices, not all of them. It's also becoming available on quite a few operator variants. But just to kind of emphasize that things can get a bit tricky, I think O2 in the UK is a good example where they haven't included the Hey Cortana functionality on the 930 and the 1520, I believe. Now, don't know what the reason for that is, but presumably something was flagged up in testing or it didn't quite work or there was some incompatibility. And as a result, that got changed. So that's the example of the kind of testing and the tweaks that will get made. Um, and when you start to appreciate the number of that's going on, and then the relatively small number of people who will be involved in creating and testing all these firmware builds sort of becomes a bit more understandable. And I suppose the sort of opposing view is to go, well, 
they could test them all ahead of time, have everything ready and then have one big bang on release day. But that probably means that the update wouldn't be delivered until sometime in March. So although fewer people get it, they get it sooner. And to, to my mind, it's better to release it kind of piecemeal like that. And it also obviously makes sense from the in terms of you as planning, it's easier and you can do a little bit of a test if something goes wrong. As probably did happen um, with Denim on some devices, you know, it, it looked like it came out on the 930 in a couple of, I think it was the Scandinavian countries and possibly some Southeast Asian countries. A few problems were identified, they got fixed and then the update came out for everybody else. So that kind of, you know, testing program is always important. Uh, I guess that's not going to make it any less frustrating for anyone who hasn't got the Denim update, particularly if they're a keen photographer. <laughs> Good answer. But I, I actually say I'm still frustrated because Netflix won't work on my 735 or my 830, which given the, uh, the importance of Netflix as a core application on mobile platforms, to have it physically not work at all on your two most recently launched flagship or, flag, or affordable flagships um, seems absolutely crazy. I cannot see why on earth something couldn't be done. This has been going on now for six weeks that netflix has not worked at all on those two handsets and that's just unacceptable it, it does seem rather peculiar to me that particular instance i would have thought it would be possible to do effectively not an emergency but a, a single issue over the air update and certainly that is possible and has been done for security patches in the past and as you say netflix is one of those very embl- emblematic apps which in, in some cases, in some of the operators, is actually given away as kind of part of a, a service bundle. You get six months free of, of Netflix. And so, and indeed, Microsoft has done similar deals in the past with other handsets. So certainly been expectation there'll be a significant number of people being frustrated by that issue. I think this this whole thing around software updates and it is an ongoing issue that I've yet to see anyone satisfactorily fix. I mean, you get the same thing in the Android world and even in the iOS world where, you know, a problem is identified and it can take a while for it to get fixed. I remember something similar happened with uh, podcast downloads. Even kind of, this was an earlier version of Windows Phone where basically the API to do unattended downloads, that's, you know, downloads happening in the background was broken and that was partly because not very many apps were using it. Microsoft knew about it, but then actually took about six months to do anything about it. And there was actually a, a software update in between. So that was especially frustrating. I, I think this whole issue of software management is a lot more complex than most people may realize. And I've sort of hinted at with that, with a you know, couple of thousand variants. And of course, there's also, you've got to identify, you've then got to deliver it and deliver it in the in the timely manner. So for example, something like the Netflix thing, I, I suspect the problem was identified fairly rapidly, probably in the, a matter of a week or a couple of weeks, but it then has to go into the planning to how we're going to deliver this. And you can't just slot it to the top of the queue because obviously there's a whole load of software management and planning going on at the same time. And they'll have said, right, we'll have to get that one out first and the next one update that fix will go in the one after that. Uh, because these the planning for this kind of software management and the rollout of these updates happens months or not quite years, but certainly months in advance. And so, you know, obviously now there's a lot of planning going on for the delivery of Windows 10 onto existing devices, despite the fact that's probably six months out for most people. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, that was you're, doing a great, you're doing a great job of, of being the apologist, Rafe, and I, I yeah. accept your explanation, but it doesn't ease the frustration. No, but, and, um, and that, that's the thing. I think this is what companies like Microsoft have to realize, and I think it applies just as much to some of the other Windows phone manufacturers who are, will be thinking about whether to deliver updates. You know, HTC may be 
a good example, but also all these new ones we've talked about in recent podcasts. It's it's not good enough now just to release a phone and, and kind of let it go. You do have yeah. to think about the software updates. And even if it's being centrally organized by Microsoft, the chances are you're still going to have to have an engineer somewhere signing off on things and giving the nod and then the necessary chats with operators and whoever you've sold them to. Of course, they're aware of that, and of course, that has been planned. But I think it's still one of those things where inevitably, you know, um, the management level and others will look at it and go, well, that's a, a, a cost that we can cut or we can minimize. And yet, there is certainly now a consumer expectation that updates will be delivered and will be delivered in a timely manner. Uh-huh. And they've kind of got used to the idea of getting great new functionality. And when you look at Denim on the high-end Lumia devices, actually something that's really quite attractive, the camera performance for me is the standout thing, but there is the RIT capture mode. There's a couple of updates to the Windows Phone platform itself. And that's going to only become more true with Windows 10 when it's you know a major update. And same thing happened with kind of 8 to 8.1, but it, I feel it's even in that time it's come on. And that's partly the expectation set by you know Apple and its annual updates, but also we've seen the same thing with Android it, it having its own set of annual updates. And uh, yeah. I don't think that culture is going to go away anytime soon. Yeah, and I did notice in the <laughs> thinking that the grass might be greener elsewhere in the Android world the last few weeks. I've seen nothing but complaints, but people at HDC haven't honoured their agreement to issue a lollipop updates in a time-honored fashion and samsung owners wondering where their lollipop their lollipop android 5 update is so it happens with early adopters and enthusiasts in every sphere of the mobile world so it's not just windows phone in this, in this case <laughs> um you mentioned denim there on the high-end phones and we've mentioned the, the lumia camera 5 and denim quite a bit in the last few recent podcasts but we have now had our first chance to look at not only the rich capture and several um, items up on the site for that, and we also discussed it, I think, last week on the podcast. But also now there's the vanilla um, image processing algorithms, which got tweaked quite heavily with Lumia Denim and Lumia Camera 5, and uh, using a mixture of uh, your uh, Lumia 930 and also the Icon for America, which is on a previous firmware, and also my own 930 actually undergoing the upgrade and the 1520 undergoing the upgrade. We've now got some pre- and post-denim um, comparisons using your wonderful comparison tool up on the site. I went up this 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 morning as I uh, record this on the Tuesday. I guess people will listen to this on the Wednesday, so hopefully there'll be about 100 comments by now. And it's proved quite a controversial topic. It's quite a dramatic change, Ray, from relatively neutral um, photographs to producing something that's much more akin to Samsung and Apple in terms of vivid colors and not quite sharpening. They haven't gone that far, but certainly increasing the contrast. And uh, quite a few of the sample photographs were taken by you. So maybe you could comment on which you prefer from the pre or post denim. Well, I think I'm on record as generally preferring fairly natural and neutral processing. Um, when I, and I have to say, maybe caveat with that, with when I'm looking at uh, photos off the phone, when you actually look at them on the phone, I, I mean, I thought as I was taking them, oh, Denim's doing a fantastic job. And it wasn't till I got them side by side that I realised you know, there was actually a, a significant difference. And I will say that on some of them, um, I actually think that the kind of the previous version was more accurate in terms of capturing what was there, that kind of natural colours. But on some of them, that's not true. I mean, particularly I, I felt with some of the inside shots, it was doing a better job of accurately rendering the colours. And outside's always very difficult to judge because the lighting conditions are kind of changing continuously. And I suspect on a couple of the outdoor shots, you know, the sun coming in and out of clouds might have made a, a bit of a difference. 
nonetheless, there's no doubt at all. There's definitely, I think, a tweak to the contrast. I think on the sharpening side, it's much harder to judge. And I would say, um, again, that's as much down to conditions. I, I don't know. We'd have to do a, a, some more tests, but certainly on the contrast side. And actually, I think you, it's really obvious in the photo that you took of a painting, you can actually see the contrast a lot more. And that's yeah. one where I would say I'm probably more in favour of doing a little bit of higher contrast to kind of bring out some of the vividness of a photo than I am uh, kind of things like uh, sharpening. Because I think sharpening is too destructive. Um, contrast, it's not that it's not, not, not destructive, but it's, it, it feels to me like it has less of an impact. But it's a very, very much a subjective decision that. And I think there'll be a lot of people out there who come from the kind of the traditional pure view view of things who will be not distressed exactly, but will be somewhat nonplussed by the fact that there's been quite a significant step change. I think actually it's probably a response to the demand from uh, consumers. It's interesting talking to some of the imaging team from um, Microsoft about this. They've always said that people prefer to be shown more bright, more vivid colours when they're asked it you know, see the photos without any reference to the real world shot. Uh, it's not really surprising. It's kind of that Kodak colors. And the thing goes back to Kodak, Kodak and Fujifilm and the preferences there. And, uh, you know, Canon and Nikon have, have sound something very similar in their own experiments. So I suspect this is more response, um, somewhat reluctantly, maybe from the imaging team to see what consumers as, as a whole want. Um, my yeah. personal preference, Honestly, as long as it's capturing a good photo, I, I guess I'm less bothered by it uh, because I, I didn't notice it when I was taking the, the photos kind of standalone. It wasn't suddenly looking to me like all of these were much more over-processed. It was this kind of uh, side-by-side and actually Steve doing the, you know, the photos in the comparison that made me realise there was actually a, a bigger difference. And so going through each of the photos, I would say it's about 50-50 as to which ones I prefer one over the other. And given that I would naturally favour the kind of the more neutral processing, I actually think that's a pretty good result. Yeah. I suspect if I showed these to someone else, most people would prefer the kind of the more processed, the more contrasty photos. The, the outside photo is a good example. You appear to get a little more detail, a little more interest in that. The same goes for the cat. I have to say the, um, in that case, it's the kind of the pre-denim is definitely a, a more accurate colour rendition of this uh, particular cat who's called Macavity, by the way. Um, I, I don't know what it's like for your particular photo, Steve. Was there, the colour actually feels like I'm having got a pure radio of my own that the, uh, pre-denim was being a little more accurate in the colour capture there. Was that that accurate? I think it was, but I would agree with you. And I made the point in the article that in each case, um, Microsoft or the ex-Nokia imaging engineers have gone, as you say, along with the crowd, the Apples and Samsungs of this world, and they've designed their photographs to be captured and viewed, and certainly initially, on the phone screen. Now, the mm-hmm. phone screens are now pretty high resolution and pretty good quality. Um, and as you as you yourself noticed, when you took them, they looked fabulous on the phone screen. That's the, the degree of contrast, the degree of color vividness is designed to look fabulous in that environment. So you then want to share the photographs with other people who then view them on their phone screens. And option, optionally also, maybe look at them on laptop or desktop screens, but they're still a relatively low resolution um, environment. Very, very few people are actually doing pixel peeping like me, and they think, "Hang on Indeed. a minute, you're pulling a fast one here." I mean, does this all this does bring back to mind the the glory days of Nokia imaging under Damien Dinning, where he was a big fan of neutral images and having natural images. And of course, in the 808 um, Nokia 808 running Symbian, of course, software, they actually had a creative mode where you could adjust 
Um, in addition to normal resolution, you could adjust uh, whether it was super fine or fine JPEG encoding, whether you could adjust the sharpening, you could adjust the vividness, all of these parameters to your heart's content so that you could take photographs in exactly the style, exactly the mode you want. And I, I still can't see to this day why in the, the, the Nokia camera software, which now become the Lumia camera software, they can't just put an extra advanced tab in and have all these parameters. Then every single one of these enthusiasts would shut up and say, okay, great, I can set it how I want it. I can take every photograph I want it. And it really wouldn't be that big a deal for the, uh, the Microsoft crew to put in. Uh, I don't know when you say it's not a big deal. I mean, putting the setting itself in probably isn't a big deal, but having to do all the supporting stuff to the algorithms might be a bigger deal than we imagine because one assumes you have to set up a, a whole new bet, batch of kind of uh, default settings or settings according to which situation you're in in order to get the processing right. Because what you wouldn't want to happen is to say, put it into neutral mode and find that it was misidentifying the context of the photo and therefore applying the wrong kind of processing. So I wonder whether, I don't think it's probably a case that it would double the work you effectively have to set up <laughs> in two ways, but I, I suspect it's more complicated than just adding a setting but um, i agree with a lot of the commenters who were talking about this in the in the comments of this particular article that it would be nice in to me that does seem to be the obvious direction to go with the caveat of course that anytime you put a switch in like that only a, a handful of users yeah, use yeah. it and I may, i'm not asking for much microsoft although i do <laughs> <laughs> i do acknowledge of course having put in the rich capture stuff stuff to then then have users tweaking one of the basic parameters as well that really might mess up the rich capture so i do acknowledge that the workflow is already pretty complicated for microsoft and the poor users using the camera software and all the different things they can change to add one more thing to change i do appreciate would make the situation more complicated but it was just one one more setting i think might please a lot of people but let's move on rafe because we're going to well, get complaints I, too much I, imaging talk I, on the podcast we are but i do want to make one point about this you refer to the glory days of uh pure view imaging i would also point out that the context has changed a little we have got rich capture which means you can play about with the settings and while i don't think you can necessarily achieve the the neutral look you can certainly change some of the processing in the way a photo comes out i'd also remind people that if they want it in that kind of format they have got the raw mode now i'll be the first so you can't actually handle that on the phone um, but if you're looking to use it as a pure kind of imaging device maybe that's what you you have to go for um, i think this is a continuing journey it's quite clear that the Microsoft imaging teams are continuing to look at this, are continuing to kind of balance the needs of, you know, the, if you like, the specialist imaging users with the mass market. And honestly, you, you'd expect them to be biased to the mass market. That's what's going to sell the devices. I think it's admirable in some ways that it's been as long as it has biased more towards the imaging side. And part of me is kind of, as I say, distressed to see it go this way. I don't think it's gone nearly as far as the Samsung processing goes and not even really as far as the Apple processing goes. And perhaps there is a, a middle ground there. Um, but it does make me wonder if kind of the, this next stage is, you know, could we do raw processing on the phone? Could we have these kind of switch that we've been talking about? There's certainly scope for doing a little bit more, but I actually think in on balance it's probably the right move to make because it's going to make more people happier than it's going to sort of make a, a small group relatively unhappy and given that as we've said in previous podcasts the gap between imaging on the lumia devices and the kind of the high-end flagships of other devices now much smaller or even non-existent compared to a couple of years ago i think it's actually more important for them to kind of get this uh balance right and maybe if that means having slightly more contrasty photos that's actually probably going to be a good thing in terms of the kind of comparison and you know, is this going to be the thing itself the devices nonetheless as you suggest in the article i suspect this will continue to be somewhat controversial amongst at least a small part of the audience 
Yeah. Now, handling raw images on the phone, that sounds like a job, Ray, for a more powerful processor. And we did see a a Qualcomm press release kind of hurried out, I suspect, by Qualcomm after the news that uh, Samsung aren't going to use their new Snapdragon 810 in the Galaxy S6. They thought, ah, right, Samsung aren't our customer anymore for for their, their... but we've got lots of other manufacturers who are on board. And one of those customers turned out to be Microsoft. And we had Yuha Kokonen, General Manager for Portfolio and Product Management at Microsoft, saying, we, I quote, we look forward to continuing this relationship to deliver best-in-class Lumia smartphones powered by Qualcomm Snapdragon 810 processors, offering an unprecedented combination of processing power, rich multimedia, high-performance graphics, and wireless connectivity. And in part of the... Uh, the 810 specs include things like uh, up to, uh, I think it's 50 megapixel images. So there's a lot of graphics power there, Rafe. And uh, my, my gut feel, I mean, I've, I've been on record before as saying this, I think there will be a Snapdragon, either 805 or in this case, maybe an 810 powered Lumia 940. And I think it will be announced some, sometime around the June, July time frame and delivered around the uh, September time frame. But uh, would you care to... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. disagree <laughs> no i i think that's a reasonable assumption i mean i did notice in the story on this you sort of wrote about it in, in the coming months and i think emphasis on the s in months i think it's probably further away <laughs> than most people think um and actually uh, qualcomm's press release referred to coming weeks and months i think the coming weeks refers to uh snapdragon 810s that we'll see at mwc and we've kind of hinted at before we don't think we're going to see a, a high-end lumia device there probably more likely to be something in the mid-tier i mean i i find it harder to get excited about chipsets and silicon than i used to and especially with regards to windows phone because i don't actually think putting an 810 is going to make all that much difference to the experience i mean yes it always enables something else and actually the things to look at are some of the other things it does i mean just as the uh, 800 did things like uh you know quick charge 2.0 which in theory will allow much quicker charging of your phone not yet supported as far as i'm aware on most of the windows phone devices and such only supported on a relatively small number of android devices but also you know it's the extra for doing some video or image processing um you know they refer to things like gaming uh, quality up to 4k resolution and faster wi-fi i mean that's actually going to be one of the interesting things because that's a new wi-fi chipset in there i I'm not completely familiar with all the various Wi-Fi terminology, but um, you know, in some cases that's going to be potentially much faster kind of local connectivity. Um, and you kind of need all of those things to come in sooner rather than later because, of course, there's kind of a lead time on things like that. And the same uh, applies to things like some of the audio codecs they've got in there and the updates to the LTE. Um, I suspect it will be a few years before most people you know, notice the effects of any of these, but you want it in your phones as soon as possible. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I guess good news to see something like the Snapdragon 810. Another reason to be less excited about it is it's not kind of the Qualcomm optimized chip because effectively what they've done here is license some of the uh, core technologies from a third party. It's not sort of a, if you like, what I'd call a fully developed by Qualcomm uh, chipset. Actually, the next generation Snapdragon, uh, we don't know what it'll be called yet, but say, let's call it the Snapdragon uh, 900 for sake of argument. It's probably more interesting. And obviously this was really about that. Uh, this 810 was really about Qualcomm getting a quad core, um, you know, 64 bit chipset out as quickly as possible. And in order to do that, it did, uh, license some of the technologies from third parties. I'm more interested in seeing the fully native, uh, Qualcomm version of this, which will be probably appearing sometime later in the year and is actually the real successor to the Snapdragon 800. So that's the one to keep an eye on. But of course, it's always good to see, uh, 
Windows Phone getting mentioned in this press releases. And there was a time, of course, when people got very upset about the fact that Windows Phone was uh, a couple of years behind in terms of processor technology. I think with things like the Lumia 800, that was particularly noticeable. And that whole Snapdragon S4 family lasted perhaps a lot longer than it, it should have done. All set against, you know, that whole performance not so needed on Windows Phone. But you know, it's something, it's one of those specs that appears in you know, phone shop magazines and on the sort of the bullet points beneath a phone on the shelf. So it's kind of is important in a way, even if uh, it's, well, it, it is necessary because we're doing more and more with the phone. So having the powerful and perhaps more importantly, power efficient chipsets is, is a big deal. Um, so yeah, I would hope we will see a, a Windows phone device running kind of Qualcomm's flagship processor before too long. But uh, yeah, I think you're right. Look, look to the late summer rather than the uh, late spring for that. Yeah, and uh, in terms of a, ch- a name for the new chipset, of course, if Ewan was still around, he'd, he'd insist on calling it Brian. He but, would, um, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I don't think that's ever going to happen. Um, but look, before we finish the podcast, we want to just uh, uh, highlight a few applications we've been using. And I wanted to give a shout-out to Tweetium. I've known, I know we've mentioned it before, but it's uh, probably the, the most up-and-coming, the, the biggest, highest-profile Twitter application for Windows Phone right now. Um, it's a universal app that so also works on Windows um, 8.1 as well, and of course on Windows 10 up and coming. Uh, Tweetium has been impressed me by the sheer number of things you can tweet, the sheer number of things the developer has been knocking on the head in recent weeks. There are some days, Rafe, in which Tweetium actually went through three or four updates within a 24-hour period. So it's, I, I think I just like living on the bleeding edge. I like living on an, an operating system which is constantly being updated, even if it's I know it's partly broken. The fact that it could be mended by 3 p.m., that's the thing that, that drives me to to the day and gives me excitement and uh, the, the Tweetium gives me the same excitement it's a, it's a really nice Twitter application I run it with a, a dark theme um, and every time you go to a particular timeline in the, in, in, the, in the client it defaults to the top and most recent tweet which is really hand, handy and it's rarely more than a couple of seconds before that's filled in with the latest information so I'm really enjoying Tweetium and I would recommend it and commend it to the uh, listenership Okay so while we're talking about app updates I was just going to talk about something I've noticed, and that's we're seeing more kind of support for Cortana and voice recognition coming into apps. Kind of the voice thing's been there for a while, but I've noticed a few apps getting updated with uh, Cortana support. I guess that's because we're seeing Cortana spread a bit more widely, partly because of the denim update, but there was the uh, kind of what was the Nokia conference calling app. That's been updated. It's also been uh, rebranded at the same time with Cortana support. I use Cortana mainly um, in the kind of home situation when there's no one else around. I guess there's a certain amount of embarrassment factor about doing it in public. Um, but I will say that I have been using Hey Cortana on the 930, and that's when you say Hey Cortana, and it operates hands-free just in the morning to get an update about what the weather's going to be like and to do a, a couple of other things like set alarms or remind me to call things. And I've actually found, uh, rather than shouting at the phone, hey, Cortana, if I just speak in a relatively normal voice and it's no more than sort of, you know, a couple of feet away from me, it, it works absolutely fine. And I've sort of got the recognition levels up to about, I'd say, 80% or so. Uh, there are still times when it doesn't work and it, it needs to be better because it really needs to work 99% of the time so you don't get frustrated. But there's something to be said for the uh, audio and the hands-free living. Uh, so definitely a thumbs up on me from that. Uh, I think work still needed. Um, I haven't yet seen it work really effectively on any of the platforms. You know, same applies to kind of the Google Voice and the Siri stuff. It kind of enchants me but frustrates me at the same time. But uh, talking of things that kind of actually uh, enchant me, it's we've talked in the past about 
Windows Phone support for you know, Bluetooth uh, for low energy. And I've been using the Fitbit application for a while. And it's just a real pleasure that I'm starting to see Windows Phone have the same kind of support that Android and iOS have had for a little while now for things like wearables and other accessories. And I'm also seeing it in the kind of the smart home space as well. And I recently uh, picked up something called a Netatmo weather station, which is basically operating over Wi-Fi. And it tells me what the outdoor temperature and humidity and pressure is, as well as some metrics inside as well. And I was pleasantly surprised to find there was a first party application for it in the Windows Phone store. And it has live tile support. And so it flips there, telling me what the temperature is inside and outside. And at the moment, it's telling me that it's 2.8 degrees outside and about 16 degrees inside. But it was just encouraging to find that Windows Phone support. There's actually a couple of good third party applications as well. So that's always worth checking out for the smart home stuff. I will say that the majority of the smart home stuff are still Android and iOS only, and sometimes with third-party support, the uh, Philips Hue light bulbs are a good example of that. I've kind of been resisting picking those up simply because there hasn't been great Windows phone support. Um, and I think this is a, just as there was an issue around wearables, it's something to keep an eye on in 2015, which I don't think it's a bit of a stretch to say 2015 is the year of the smart home, but I am expecting more people to start picking up these kind of accessories and be light bulbs or door locks or kind of alerts if you left a window open and other kind of smart appliances you know that was certainly something i saw an awful lot of when i was at ces this year and actually going back last year to ifa and it wasn't so much that they existed it was the volume and the number of different companies getting into that space which feels very like it was you know with with smartphones a while back where on the cusp of it sort of becoming really interesting a lot of awareness in the mainstream and mass market adoption as I still think we're just a little while away from that, but uh, Microsoft needs to keep an eye on that space, I think, and make sure there's good app support, especially when you also see stories about various US banks dropping support for Windows Phone apps and actually withdrawing them from the App Store. I think that's a real nightmare. That's something that Microsoft really should have got on top of better. And whether they needed to throw money at it or just change the message, it's really awful for the platform if you've got something like a banking app, a service app being withdrawn because as these banks say, there's nobody using them. I'm not sure I necessarily believe that. I think it's more a case of um, there's probably not enough people using it to justify the cost of continued support. But uh, for Microsoft, that's had to work so hard on getting this kind of app gap message, not closed, but at least become less pressing. It's not great to see that kind of thing happening. And I think part of the reason it happens in the US market is actually Windows Phone adoption there is you know, quite significantly lower than it is in some of the European markets. We're talking sort of 3 4% in the US versus certainly towards the 8 to well 10%. Depends uh, how you measure the installed base here in the UK. And so... You know, it, it, it's certainly notable that a lot of the UK companies are starting to pay more attention to Windows Phone. It's still very much the third thing you develop, but it's um, most definitely ahead of BlackBerry. And it's certainly getting to the point where they're going, well, if we've got a, a budget, yes, it's something we have to support as well. And I have to say from the, the other way I see that happening is actually it's more still supporting mobile sites and having a Windows Phone kind of as a shortcut application. It's how the BBC are doing it here in the UK. I suspect we'll see more of that. But uh, yeah, just a bit of app chat to finish off the podcast. Don't know if there's anything else that's been catching your eye this week. Any games you can recommend, perhaps, Steve, or some other app that's a must-download? 
Hey, funny you should say that, Rafe, but just a very quick mention before we close up. Yeah, Table Tennis 3D. I did review it a couple of months ago, but really, really slick, real-time 3D table tennis game. And it's also infuriatingly hard to beat. You, <laughs> After about 10 minutes, you'll be throwing your phone against the walls. So maybe I shouldn't be recommending it, but uh, really nice uh, game. It plays an incredibly high frame rate. Kind of a Nint- um, Nintendo Wii-style play, but on your Windows phone. So Table Tennis 3D, and we'll put a link to my review in the show notes um i did want to chat maybe maybe in the next podcast rafe I, we did discuss the denim image processing um uh, issue and asking you questions in this podcast but i also want to tackle what happens when you when you let your phone back up your images to OneDrive, and if it when that happens what exactly should it back up so but don't answer now but we'll mm-hmm. we'll tackle that issue and you can give your thoughts in the very next podcast and hopefully we'll be here next week next tuesday or wednesday rafe and goodbye from me indeed yes uh I should probably have let Steve get his goodbye out before starting talking, but it's uh, also a goodbye from me. With that note, if anyone's got any comments themselves on denim or thoughts on the kind of the update issue or indeed any other questions you'd like us to address, you can always uh, tweet us at AA underscore WP or our personal Twitter accounts at Steve Litchfield with a T or at Rafe Blanford and there's the various email routes you can get in uh, contact as well. But that's a, a good point to end the podcast. We will be back next week and please tune in then. And uh, let us know what you think.